Imagine leaving your home for a wedding and then never being able to go back. Imagine knowing that Islamic State fighters are living in your house, driving your car. Imagine being displaced and not knowing where you'll live or what you'll eat. How would you pray? How would you survive? We're going to hear about Christians living this nightmare right now in northern Iraq and how VOM is helping them today on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. We're going to have a little bit of a unique interview today. I'm in our studio with Adam, who oversees our work in the Middle East. Uh, but we're going to be talking about Iraq, and specifically we're going to be talking about a trip uh, that I was on. So uh, we're going to both kind of share a little bit about Iraq and what's going on there, uh, and hopefully it will be enlightening to you uh, about what our Christian brothers and sisters in Iraq are facing, uh, and also about how Voice of the Martyrs is responding. Uh, so Adam, welcome to our studio today. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit about What's going on in northern Iraq right now? The, the thing that I came back with was uh, the overwhelming need. <laughs> I mean, just so many people, so much need. Uh, tell us about what's happening there. Yeah, it's true. The, the level of need is really intense. It's incredible when you see it with your own eyes. Um, people are struggling right now. It's still somewhat fresh. I, I like to remind people that 100 days ago, a lot of these people were driving their own cars. They were dropping their kids off at school. They were employed. And now their situation has completely changed. So with that in mind, the the need that they're feeling, the, the raw wounds from losing so much so quickly, it's palpable. And it's it's difficult when, I, when I'm there because the humanitarian side of it is so intense. And fortunately, there are a lot of organizations and others that are working to try to address a lot of those needs. But of course, the spiritual needs are huge as well. And a lot of people are searching. A lot of people are asking hard questions. And it's in that situation that we're trying to come in and, and help those, the local church, to shine the light of Christ in this dark, dark period. One of the stories that we heard that uh, really illustrates the nature of people being displaced is uh, the family we heard about that was on their way to a wedding. They, they went to a wedding, and while they were at the wedding— Islamic State took over their house, took over their neighborhood, and they could never go home. Right. Uh, and I just think about, you know, when you head out to a wedding, you're wearing your best clothes, uh, and you think, hey, we'll be back this evening, uh, and nothing. They, they have been displaced since then. They've had to move to a different city only with the clothes on their back. Uh, that, I, I think, kind of helps people understand these people are just completely displaced. They're completely uh, taken out of their regular lives. Uh, let's talk about, because you, you, you talked about shining the light of Christ, and uh, I want to help our listeners understand, uh, we talk about the Christians of northern Iraq. Uh, we're talking about some different groups, right. and some, uh, you know, 
traditional, some evangelical, kind of help us, help give us a context of, of what we mean by Christians in northern Iraq. Yeah, sure. It's, it's nuanced, like so much of our work in, in the Middle East. Um, but you have evangelical uh, Christians there. You have some that are very active, very bold, those that are engaged, those that if you were to meet, you'd be shocked to understand the losses that they sustain because they're still filled with joy and they're laughing, but in their serving, um, a lot of the Christians come from uh, more traditional churches. So, uh, many of them are, are nominal. You have the you have Christians in that are Kurdish. You have uh, some Christians who are Assyrian. Many of those uh, Assyrian communities were there living on the Nineveh plain. That was overrun. That was 50 plus villages or so. And then you also have uh, Arabic believers and across all these different groups, you have uh, Catholic communities, you have Orthodox communities, you have different types of evangelical groups. So it's, it's a smorgasbord, uh, certainly. The strong believers, there's not a, I don't want to paint a picture that like there's a tremendous number of them. They're there, they're serving faithfully, and those are typically the channels that we really try to come behind quietly and assist. But um, there's a lot of people that are just really, you know, like we discussed earlier, they're, they're just kind of stung. They're, you get that kind of glazed eye effect. They're not, their bells rung. They're not really sure what to make of things. And, um, but yeah, there's, there's a, a big variety of Christians in Northern Iraq and in Iraq in general. One of the things that I was struck by is, is how many of the Christians, uh, you know, we, we love to tell the stories of those who have, they've been persecuted and they bounce back and they've forgiven their persecutors. Uh, there were a lot of Christians who weren't there yet that no. we met with. And, uh, you know, I remember uh, one guy who, you know, the anger was very palpable. He, mm -hmm. They had just stolen everything he owned. He was now kicked out of his home, kicked out of his city, living as a refugee, basically. Uh, so the anger is understandable. Yeah. Uh, but certainly there are Christians who are very angry. Uh, there are also many, many, many who want to leave. Right. Uh, they have really lost confidence. They've lost hope in their future in Iraq. And they say, hey, let's let's go to America. Let's go to Europe. Let's go somewhere safe uh, because they've experienced so much. Uh, you mentioned that uh, shining the light of Christ, even through the aid that Voice of the Martyrs is distributing. And uh, one of the other things I, I came back with was just incredibly impressed at the people we're working with there. Uh, our contacts who are helping distribute this aid, uh, how do you find such great quality people uh, to carry out this work? Well, I guess the short answer to that is we don't. Uh, it's simply answered prayer. We pray, pray for these these trips, these contacts, these paths to cross, and he's, he's just provided. So that's the short answer. I guess the longer answer is, you know, we've been doing this for a few years now, we have some uh, partners that go back some time, and through that, through you know, just other opportunities, other conversations, God has just been very gracious to open many doors for us to help out. A lot of these brothers and sisters, they're digging in. They're marshalling assistance. They're wrestling with these situations. They're praying not only that others are going to come to faith, but they're praying that the faithful, you know, after they kind of come out of the shell shock state, which some are, are starting to do, that they stay put, that they see that the, that the 
harvest is here and that they can engage and really uh, be that that mirror to reflect the light to all these people that that are really in spiritual need right now. I remember one of the pastors that we met with who's helping us distribute aid, when we asked him, what can we pray for? You know, what can we tell people to pray for? The very first thing he said was pray that God will call people to stay uh, and continue working and continue serving him here and not allow them or, or give them clearance to leave the country because he was worried uh, that his, con- his congregation was basically going away. They were all yeah. moving and leaving. Uh, one of the things we heard was about the credibility uh, that some of our contacts have because they were there, because they are themselves displaced, kicked out of their homes. Talk about a little bit about that and, and what that means to the people that they're serving there. Yeah, so some of these groups that are serving all these other displaced people are displaced themselves. And some of them have lost things, and they've lost things before other communities got overrun. And so it's, it's kind of that instant street cred. It's no different than if somebody's lost uh, a parent and somebody's trying to console them. It, it, it may be easy to dismiss them or the, um, their overtures, but once you find out that, oh, they struggled with the same type of loss during the same, you know, the, the similarities, it, it matters, and it matters to these communities. So some of these, uh, some of these uh, people were, were serving alongside, they have that. And they don't come out. That's not the thing they lead with. Uh, but what they do is they're, sh- they're loving on people, and they're trying to help them out, and they eventually get kind of that, you know, stiff arm because they're these people are struggling. They're bitter. Some of them are bitter. Some of them are real sh- struggling with uh, negative thoughts about those that have really been responsible for a lot of this. But then they just kind of graciously disclose that they're in the same boat. They're not helping them from an island, and you know they're in the same boat with them. And that really rattles them. I think. I think that shakes them, and it forces them to really consider things and. So not only does it give them um, a better opportunity to witness, a better opportunity to show that light, but it just has the, the ability to freeze people in their tracks. Um, I remember when I was young, I had a pretty mild surgery done. But when I was in the hospital, I was, you know, kind of boo-hoo's me. And it's only mild if it happens to someone else, you know, yeah. it's you, it's serious. I, I thought it was pretty serious, but in retrospect, you know, it wasn't the biggest deal. And I had a, a guy, a kid about the same age as me get rolled in. And this guy was chirpy and upbeat and kind. He was a believer. I, I found out, but, um, you know, I was still, you know, wallowing in my own despair and everything. And I found out that this young man had to have pretty life-altering surgery. He had to have a large num- uh, amount of his intestine removed. He was never going to be the same. And that shook me. Um, he didn't come out leading, you know, oh, I've got a worst case. He he just uh, was responding in a different way. And he not only was in the same boat as me, he was in a worse boat. And that made me pause. And so I, I think we're seeing that with some of the people that these people are ministering to. One of the exciting things uh, that Voice of the Martyrs is doing is distributing Bibles along with the aid that we're delivering, along with, you know, clothing and food and other things to help these displaced Christians. Uh, but a lot of these Christians, 
they've never had a Bible. Right. What has been some of the responses of those? The responses have been really resoundingly positive. A lot of the Bibles that we've been distributing are, are oriented towards youth and kids. The response is, you know, these are good quality books. They're, uh, they're really well done, and they're engaging. And, and so they're very excited about that. It's been great for these kids um, to really get into the Word. But the cool thing is also not, it's, it's been so well received that the adults often are the ones that want to kind of sneak it away from the kids so that they can flip through it themselves. And yeah, that's been really helpful. One of the things that you observed, I know we talked about it, is there's just not a lot to do for some of these families. So to have an engaging Bible there, that, that's great that people can you know, redeem this time, redeem this time in a positive way, in a way that's going to help them to grow and, uh, yeah, and bring them together as families. We've got some audio I'm going to play for you now of uh, one of the young people that we met while we were there uh, reading from uh, the Action Bible, which is produced by David C. Cook. And um, so we're going to play that right now. And he's actually, you unless you speak Arabic, you probably won't pick up on it, but he's reading from the story of David and Jonathan uh, in the Action Bible. Adam, it's encouraging to hear uh, God's word being read, even though I don't speak Arabic, I don't understand what he just said, uh, but it is cool that we're a part of getting God's word into northern Iraq, into the hands of the people there. What's going to happen to all these displaced people? Uh, Because we, you know, we saw people living in tents. Uh, We saw people who were living in in rented apartments. We saw people who were living in a shopping mall that has been changed over to displaced person housing. Uh, What's the future hold uh, for all of these literally thousands and, and hundreds of thousands of displaced Christians in northern Iraq? Well, right now, that's a bit of a question mark. This area has been the receiving end of wave after wave of refugee inflows for, for years now. So this, this newest uh, installment of, of refugees is, is simply the, the newest chapter in this. It's certainly something that's you know garnering a lot of attention on the ground there with, with us, with other organizations. And they're exploring ways to try to meet this tremendous need. Our job is trying to work through the local church and identify some sustainable solutions for them. I know one of the things that other some have been considering is trying to identify and even maybe construct lower-cost housing a little bit outside of the typical areas. That's one way to try to combat uh, increases in the cost of living there. So there, these things are going on. I imagine that's what it's going to go to in, in the midterm. Right now, it's about getting people shelter, and it's about people getting shelter that can withstand the winter. That's the most immediate need right now that we face. Can you talk about some of the specific things VOM is doing? We've, we've mentioned some of them in the course of this, but uh, just talk about some of the maybe the top three or four things that Voice of the Martyrs is doing to help these displaced Christians. Well, it's, you know, it's neat when we get to travel into these areas because we really don't have a master plan. We don't have the the game playbook that we come. Uh, we, we like to sit down and listen, listen to what the church is doing, 
listen to how God is moving on their hearts already. And also, they're the ones that are best able to perceive the need because they're the ones that are getting approached for help. They're the ones that are having teams go out and working with other groups. So we listen. And I think if we were to examine uh, what we've been able to do over the last two, three months, a lot of it has been with shelter. We just discussed the incredible need for shelter. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that we were able to provide uh, assistance for some of that. Another big one has been with medicines. You know, these our friends that were going out and finding dislocated people and displaced Christians were often reporting just the, the needs for medicines, the needs for simple things like uh, l- lotion and stuff, children getting rashes, you know, those types of things. So we've been able to help out significantly with the medical side of things. And the other big one um, has been uh, clothing. Clothing and winterization, I'll kind of lump that together. You described the couple that went to a wedding and discovered they could never go back home. Well, that situation has been replicated over thousands and thousands of families. They had the clothes on their back. And so it was, you know, important to to try to get clothing in there. And with the winter coming, uh, winter clothes, thicker clothes, jackets, coats, socks, and uh, heaters. Let's talk about for you personally. When you go on a trip like this and you've traveled all over the Middle East, you've been in some uh, highly restricted countries, to to put it mildly, uh, what does it do to your faith, to you personally, uh, when you go and when you meet these believers and see what they're going through and have the chance to minister to them? It, uh, It really strengthens me. It helps me to put things in perspective. It helps me to prioritize. I look at the situations that they are in and that they still continue to work so well in, and they really rest on God's strength. It's evident that they're not doing this in their own power. They're really having to tap in to what God provides. That just strengthens me, the opportunity just to be with them, to pray with them, to help them out if there are unmet needs that we can come alongside and assist with. It's just tremendous. So, you know, when I think of things here in the West, when I think of pressures I have in my day-to-day life, or even, you know, on a larger scale, in the country scale, there's, you know, we have our own significant issues, our own problems. But, wow, if they can thrive in those choppy seas, then I, I'm just like, well, of course we can do it. Um, so it encourages me tremendously, and it's really a privilege to be able to just rub shoulders with them. Um, anytime you can spend time with them, break bread with them, uh, it, it's a real gift from God, and, and I'm grateful for it. Did you have any fear going to Iraq? Uh, you know, at the time of our trip, uh, Islamic State has just been putting videos online of, of Westerners, unfortunately, being decapitated. Uh, it the, the State Department would tell you it's not a good idea to travel there. Yeah. Um, do you deal with that fear? And if so, how do you overcome it? I always try to be careful. Um, we're not trying to be cowboys. We're not trying to run into anything that's really crazy. Um, we try to be responsible, and we do that by listening to our, our partners on the ground. Um, generally, even if we're going into a place that's uh, somewhat hot, they'll say, you know, it's, a, it's an okay time to come. Or they'll say, no, it's not an okay time to come. Um, we've actually been in the country a couple times over the last few months. And on that first trip, I, I would say that was one of the rare times where 
I had uh, a disagreement with our partners. Some were saying, you know, I think it's okay to come now. And others were saying, yeah, I don't think it's okay to come now. Um, but we still sensed that it was the right time for us to get in and to be with them during a difficult season. So in that sense, I yeah, perhaps there was a little bit of fear there. But, you know, having worked in the area, I think God has just kind of conditioned us for that. So some things that might be uh, more ridiculous for others, we kind of have enough perspective and We've thought through it. We've thought through contingency plans that it's it doesn't seem to be uh, anything too outlandish. And one of the things, I think one of the reasons to go is the statement it makes to our Christian brothers and sisters there. We're with you. We're not with you from America by phone and email. We're with you on the ground. We've come to, to bless you, to pray with you, to encourage you. Um, so I think that really does make a difference. That's right. And, you know, one of the partners that said, that had originally recommended that we don't come because it wasn't a great time, it was fascinating. When we first got there, he was one of the first people we met with. And he was clearly overwhelmed by the situation because he, um, his family's there. He had nowhere to go. He had reports from some just days before that the city of Erbil might fall, that all this situation might come under, you know, ISIS control. So he was really, I don't think he had much sleep. A lot of stress. And that first conversation, it was interesting. Uh, it was almost a cathartic experience for him. You could see like the emotion just coursing through him. He couldn't stop him. He was on a, a discourse, but he was kind of sharing how he was kind of taking us to task for coming in a difficult season. Um, he was sharing about all the challenges that he's been going through over the recent days. But then he kind of, as he spoke and spoke, and it kind of, he was working through it. It was at the end of that conversation that into that monologue where he was he kind of came around and said you know but thank you thank you for being here with us during this time it's it's not the safest time but it's it means a lot that you came and one of the things i pointed out to him and to others that we meet with is that we have the privilege those that are traveling have the privilege to to serve as a bridge but that there's really hundreds of thousands of believers here in America that would really give almost anything to be in that exact seat, to be able to sit with them, to be able to share with them their love, um, to be able to pray with them, and that we're just this tiny little representation of, of the support that's, that's back here. And, and that means a lot, connecting the body in that regard. And that means a lot to them, especially during those difficult times. One of the really cool things that uh, you got to see, and, and I'm jealous because it happened after I left, but uh, was to see a, a brand new baby Christian from a Muslim background get baptized. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so, you know, you, you're never sure how God is going to move through anything that we do. But this was one of the odder cases for me. Um, one of the things that we do are, are action packs, well, it was interesting that one of the brothers that we were closely with, he had on his own been witnessing to a, a friend of his there in northern Iraq for years. And uh, he never really made any headway. He'd share, but there, there would be no traction. Well, with this just crazy situation, our, our friend you know, was one of the guys that was helping with the action packs. And the, the guy that he had been witnessing to was watching all this. He sees the knee on the ground, but he also sees this guy who's been witnessing to him preparing all this stuff, and it didn't make sense to him. 
so he asked, you know, can I, can I just help out? Can I pack these packs with you? And then can I just go along with you while you distribute it to these families? And of course, sure. So he did. He, he participated. It was a lot of work. One of the guys blew out his back. There was so much stuff being moved. Oh my. He, it really clearly made an, uh, an impact on him. So a couple of days later, our partner gets a call from this man. You know, would you mind giving me a Bible? Uh, it, I, I've been touched by the love that you're showing to all these people, all these people you don't know. And I, I know why you're doing it, but I don't understand it. And I'd like to, to read a, the, a Bible. Sure, of course. Our partner was excited. <laughs> Here's the first headway he's experienced. Gives him the Bible, and a few days later, gets another call. He, it's the friend. He's read the Bible, and he wants to give his heart to Jesus. So actually, on one of our trips there, we got to to see this young man get baptized. After years of witnessing nothing, and it came about not because they were a recipient of an action pack or reading the Bible as a recipient, but as somebody that helped participate in that distribution. So that was a little bit unusual. That is an amazing story of how God works and uh, I think encouragement for our listeners who are trying to witness to somebody and not making a lot of headway. Amen. Uh, keep doing it. Keep praying about it. Uh, who knows? Who knows what God is going to use to break down that wall? Adam, one of the things that we always want to do on Voice of the Martyrs Radio is equip our listeners to pray. Uh, so as we're praying for Iraq, how can we pray? How should we pray? Well, I'll just uh, parrot what some of the leaders there uh, asked for, and that's prayer for the faithful to remain and to serve and to to be engaging these hurting communities, even though they themselves are hurting. I think it's I think it's helpful to pray for uh, safety for these groups because it's still very much a tenuous situation. You're never sure what the Islamic State's going to do. Pray for that. Pray for these families. Pray for uh, continuity and, and endurance. We have the privilege, you know, we're working in Syria as well as Iraq. And it's almost, when I look at our work in Syria, well, that's been really, really serious now for three years, four years. And uh, that community's been through a lot, but, but they've seen it and they've withstood it. This seems in many regards, the situation we're seeing in northern Iraq reminds me of what things were like in the very first days when Syria really descended into chaos. So they're they're in that tender phase, and I, you know, some of them were thinking, I've been here in this place for two weeks, but I'll be home in a couple of days. And I think it's dawning on more and more people that know this this is going to be a while. And so this is the new normal. Yeah, um, and so that the local church would have the endurance and the the strength to be able to minister to them on an ongoing basis and find solutions for not only the problems they're encountering right now, but the, those problems that are going to arise in six months, in one year, two years. And also that, you know, this spiritual openness, this season of spiritual openness, uh, for lack of a better term, would be capitalized on. Um, they're asking the questions. I, I pray that they find the answer um, and that that answer would come from the faithful there in northern Iraq. Thanks, Adam, for sharing with us today, and thank you also to our listeners. Join us online at vomradio.net to listen again to our conversation with Adam or to hear other episodes of our program. That's vomradio.net. If you tweet about this episode, please use the hashtag vomradio. 
If you'd like to give to support VOM's work helping displaced Christians in northern Iraq, you can do so at the main VOM website, persecution.com. I hope you're more in touch with what our persecuted family in Iraq is dealing with after being with us today, and I hope you'll join me in praying for those brothers and sisters there. We'll see you next time on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.